This is Imperfect Discourse, the podcast, a place for conversation, questions, and thought-provoking ideas. Hosted by Isaac and Daniel, two lifelong friends with unique perspectives, life experiences, and captivating dialogue. This is Episode 3, Season 2. Good afternoon, Daniel. Good afternoon, Isaac. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I've got a fresh cup of coffee in front of me. It is a beautiful, beautiful sunny day. No, I don't think there's clouds in the sky. It was gorgeous. And I'm ready to continue our conversation. How, how is, how is this beautiful, lovely day going for you today? It is, it is going better now. Um, I feel much better than, uh, towards the end of, uh, the last episode. I was, I was running on fumes on the last episode. It was a, it was a pretty late night, but, so, um, yeah, we're late, late burner there. Yeah. So if, uh, if it went off the rails and you're confused, we were tired. So yeah, it is what it is. If we sound low energy, that's the reason. We've got some coffee and eight hours of sleep, so we should be good to go here. Yeah. So I wanted to continue on our, our conversation this season about religious structures in Western civilization. And we were talking about this as we were preparing for this episode of to kind of re- reiterate the importance that your beliefs are the things you live out every day. And that is that. I would say that's the key or the, or the crux of what moves something from a religious structure is, is it something that you live out every day, right? Is it versus a casual, I occasionally go to sports games versus no, I, I pick this, you know, this other, I would say structure or system. And that's how I live out and plan my life around that. That's when it becomes a belief system that is religious in its, in its nature as we've defined through the last two episodes with definitions. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I don't know what is more real than the things that actually motivate you in your everyday life, uh, the beliefs, the values, the principles, um, the things that actually motivate you and and move you to act in a certain way or not in, or in a different way. Um, those I don't know what's more real than those. I don't know what you believe more than than those things. Yeah, when you when you take in take into consideration like the existentialist, right? You go, okay, your life. We look back, right, and we we observe how you live your life, the things you live out, how you prioritize. That that shows what you value, shows what you believe. Like that is evident yeah. in in how you live out your life. And so, I wanted to spend some time in this this episode talking about institutional religion and to kind of revisit what that is quickly and then we'll we'll dive in here is when we mean institutional that's that's formal so that'd be like judeo christianity protestants catholics that that side of the formal you know think the think cathedral right think church building very formal right very very, I would say, very observable in that aspect. Yeah, and also um, other institutional religions that maybe we're not as familiar with and we don't have as much personal experience to speak from. Um, mosques, synagogues, um, temples, uh, those types of things. And, you know, just because... I don't I don't want there to be uh, an implication that we're 
leaving something out. It's mostly just because uh, we don't have as much personal experience with those. So it's harder to, to speak to those things, I guess. Yeah. And it's also kind of representatory in the like the statistical data. When we look at the percentages that I would say different formal tr faith traditions make up in the uh, American population. And I referenced a study, I think it was in the first episode. I'll, I'll bring it up again in a 2021 Gallup poll. About three-fourths of Americans said they identified with a specific religious faith, and by far the largest portion was 69% uh, identifying or connecting with the like Christian religion, nice. and that broke down to 35% Protestant, so like Judeo-Christian, Evangelical, so forth, 22% Catholic, and 12% other Christian, or simply just saying Christian generically. And then under that, you had 7% non-Christian and that's when you talked about Jews, mosques. We have 2% Jewish, 1% Muslim, 1% Buddhist. And then we had 21% had no religious preference. And then it said 3% went on to not even answer the question. So when we when we think of the, the institutional religion and its prominence, especially in Western civilization, and we think about in, in America as both of our experience would be as we, we talked about the, the fabric or we talked about uh, in Durkenheim's observation about how it's part of the, the moral fabric or the construct of, of a society and it, and, it, and it serves to hold it together. So I don't, I don't want to understate the importance or not recognize the, the role that formal institutions of religion have, have played in in the Western development and in culture as a whole. Yeah, I think that you're right in um, trying to point that out because those those um, institutions do play a big role in, and continue to play a big role in the way that people kind of orient and organize organize their lives. Yeah, when you think, what is there, 330 Americans? I think it's something like that. You think, you know, three-fourths of that number. I'm not going to do the math to embarrass myself right now. That is a large part of the population. That's seventy-five percent, right? Yeah, identified with a specific religious faith, and now you know we can we can nuance that and be like, okay, what portion of that actually practice weekly, right? Like attend their, you know, weekly, you know, community or ritual practices. As, as we looked in the previous episode, that that four pronged approach, right? Of of what makes something religious, like is it just held and they say identify this in a study versus is how this present lived out and Again, you know, we look at, is this something that's lived out every day or something that you identify with? And I, you know, that's, studies are as good as studies are in research and they have those limitations, of course. Yeah. And that is a really interesting thing because I, I do wonder, um, it would be fascinating to know the the degree of um, consistency, I guess, with which the people who identify as religious, how if there was a way to, to get a, a reading on, on how fervent, you know what I mean? If, if there was like a scale of one to 10 of, of how, um, how big of a role that plays in your, in your everyday life, it'd yeah. be interesting to see how people fell on that. I know I was in the course of the research and I hate to start out research heavy on this episode and I guarantee it's going to get interesting here quick, but, um, there was a Gallup poll and it looked at, if people personally had attended church, a synagogue, mosque, or temple in the past seven days, and it said on average 29% of U.S. adults in 2001 reported they had done so either in person or virtually, 
And that number in 2000, so 21 years ago, according to the study, 44% had gone to church in the past seven days. And then you go back to 1958, 49% had. I mean, so to kind of move this, you do see a decline, right? From 58, 1958, you had 49% in the last seven days had gone to church. Now we're to 2021, we're down to 29% had attended. Yeah, church. I mean, I think that when I when I kind of think about or look around, like that seems to track with what I kind of see in my in my everyday life. And I think that there's probably a lot of reasons for that. I think that um, as a as a general rule, it seems that Americans have have kind of um, to some degree lost faith in in a lot of institutions. I think. If you were to cor- like correlate that with people's belief on how much they felt like they could um, believe or trust their government in, in uh, 58 as opposed to now, I think that you would probably also see a pretty steady decline. So I don't know if it's necessarily just religious institutions. It, it does seem to be institutions in general um, that people have kind of steadily lost faith in. But yeah, I mean, I think that that, that seems to track. And I also think that there's a possibility that um, people have uh, maybe put more emphasis on the, um, what would you call it? Uh, maybe less emphasis on the uh, the actual. I'm trying to choose my words here. Uh, when I say religious, what I mean is like like the the ritualistic practices of going to church uh, for communion for for all of those things, and almost uh, separating that from the values of a, of a belief system. Does that make sense? Like there's more of an emphasis on the values of, of a belief system now than there was uh, maybe on the, the ritualistic practices of it. So it seems like you're saying the, what, what we've taken, let's say from, from 1958 to 2021 is we're more focused on the, the value versus actually going in a, a, partaking in the community is that is that a fair summarization i think that there's probably a bit, i think that that's that seems to be something that i've that i've personally have observed that um you know because there's kind of a, a picture painted of of um of you know an american family in the 50s getting up early uh getting dressed and you know church clothes and, and going to church and and that was more of a of a like a like a ritual, some like a, a habitual thing that that people did. Whereas I, f- I feel like now, especially in in modern Christianity, like a lot of that's kind of gone away. It's much more casual. It's much more laid back. And you and I have had conversations about this. How I'm not particularly convinced that that's a good thing, um, because I think it takes out some of the the weight of what it is that that people are, or, or that 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 practice should hold ideally. Um, and because of that, I also think that it, because it's become more casual and it's become more laid back and there's services online and everything's kind of relaxed, that there also seems to be like, okay, well, if that's the case, then maybe the practices aren't as important. Maybe I just kind of take the values and, and run with that. So you think the the way that it's interacted with or the, I would say the, the maybe the respect or the... I don't want to say seriousness because I, I still think it's it's held as, as some level of seriousness, but the I would say the the changes in the I would say like Western philosophy or or how we live our lives are very you know very laid back, very lax, right? You you think about the last couple of years, right? Last two years, how the 
we went from probably 2018, 2019, like real peak athleisure where it kind of blew up, right? Mm -hmm. And where we're, who knows, coming out of the last two years in 2022 here to where there's an interesting kind of rise back on, I would say, formality or the intentionality. I just recently saw an article referencing that there are restaurants now reinstituting dress codes. Oh, really? And I was like, that's so fascinating because as 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 we observe right through culture, you observe through religious thought or ideas, political thought, philosophy, we, we pendulum, right? We go super super one direction, then we swing back the other, right? And it's interesting to observe, I think, how those those swings, the ways they infect affect or I would say have unintended consequences in areas that we don't initially observe almost until it's too late and we go, uh oh, that impacted something over here we did not know was gonna happen. Yeah, I would I would agree. And I think that, you know, um I I harp on modern Christianity quite a bit uh, because of this because I think there's no way um one of my one of the biggest pet peeves I have is um is going to a modern evangelical church and to have like some youth pastor or worship pastor come up to me and try to be like super relatable and talk about how, you know, they like to drink craft brews on the way. Like I, I, I don't need that. I don't like, I, I don't need somebody trying to be relatable to me, but I think that one of the things that um, that's happened with this, like, we're going to be super, super casual. We're going to be really laid back and we're going to essentially um, not take all of this as seriously is when you do that, people are inevitably going to kind of take you at your word. You know, it's, it's almost impossible for them not to. And so, um, you know, we've had this conversation um, off mic about how the, the impact of going into a um, like a cathedral. Um, recently we were in Arizona. We went to, um, what was the place? Holy Cross Chapel. Yeah. yeah the Holy Sedona. Ca- yeah. in Sedona. Um, there's something about visiting a place where somebody has put time, thought, intentionality, um, and, and other people are observing the reverence of, of that, regardless of, of what your personal beliefs might be. There's still a recognition, like a, you're still recognizing that this place is set aside for a specific thing. Um, and because of that, you kind of act accordingly. You know, I'm, I'm not Catholic, but, um, you know, I find myself being very, uh, sober and quiet and appreciative of, of the environment because that's what that place is set apart to do. I think when you take that away, I think that's one of the big problems with modern Christianity is when you take that, that idea away and you try to make everything super casual and, and relatable, naturally people are going to be like, okay, well, this is no different than any other place. Yeah. It's, there's, there was the encroach out of right. The eighties, nineties, more probably late seventies, eighties. Cause you see it in the architectural styles and you see it now this very, very pragmatic multi-use multifunctional building, right? That, that is true for what we see in corporate America. You know, think of, think of the rise in like the strip mall and think about how a lot of Christian new churches when they're built, it's really hard to tell them up apart from, I mean, just an, another building. And there's a lot that goes into that. And I understand I'm being heavily simplistic right here. 
But I wanted to go back when we talked about Holy Cross and like going to cathedrals and, and how you interact and how you see them. Because I don't know if you noticed this, but something I noticed was, yes, it's a beautiful architectural masterpiece. It's the setting, the the way that the the style is from one of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's, I believe it was his brother. Um, so it mimics that Frank Lloyd Wright style. And if you've studied architecture, you'll track what I'm meaning here. While that building is still used by the Catholic Church as a normal functioning cathedral, what I found amazing is stepping inside the cathedral, nobody was taking pictures inside. Outside people were of the building, the architecture of, of themselves there. But it was like the minute they crossed that threshold, there was like this recognition of, oh, this is something different. Yeah, this is a place that's set aside. And that that's so interesting in the West that even with the we're going to, you know, try to try to reduce everything down, make everything simplified. We're gonna we're gonna fix everything with our progress of the West. There is still this some sort of divine something going on there that says, I shouldn't pull my iPhone out and start taking pictures in here. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I find interesting too is as I'm thinking about it, let's say that you know, let's say that we were to have gone to a mosque or a synagogue or like a Buddhist temple. I don't know that. I, I, I mean, I, I know this. I, I wouldn't feel any different. I, there would still be the same sense of of um, respect and and reverence, regardless of the fact that you know I'm not Muslim and I'm I'm you know I'm not a practicing Buddhist. Like I, you know, I I I don't know that I would have a different response. So I find it really interesting that the response is so different in modern evangelical Christian churches because I don't feel that way when I when I walk into them. Yeah. They're almost it's hard to tell them apart from going to like a like a, a you know, an, a like a mid level concert or like a yeah, like a multi use like concert event center. And I understand, right? There is a practical aspect if you put on your I'm gonna be fun accountant and go, how can we maximize the space budgetary and use this when when you're building a building that that church might last past 15 years. And that that's, you know, there's probably better studies on that. When you think about, you know, um, Notre Dame, and that took like 300 years to build, I think something like that. Think about your, you know, your job is to just build this section. You die, you will never see it completed. And I think when you, when you're able to look at, you know, a time continuum and be like, it's my job to play a small role here and this thing is gonna outlast me and it's supposed to. I think that's part of where the West in our incredible parts that has led us to where we've progressed as has played some detriments because we don't we don't hold the same regard for lasting beautiful architecture. Yeah, and it, it you know part of me wonders about, you know, America is a very young country and I wonder um part of me thinks well okay that that has to have something to do with that. But then um I kind of have to push back on myself because I go, well, yes, it is. However, there, beauty is not necessarily something that, uh, that needs to take, especially with modern technology, beauty isn't necessarily something that needs to take as much time now. Um, you know, like it's not like you're a stone mason who's like, you know, shoveling stone out of, uh, out of the earth and then chipping away at it, you know, by yourself or with a group of a few people, like it, it's not as if, um, we, we don't have the capability of making things beautiful. So I guess my, 
it's interesting to me because I, I go, um, well, then why, why, why isn't that important anymore? Do you think, and I think it goes back to like the, 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 the progressive nature. And I don't mean political. I mean, like as a, as a nation, right. The ability to progress and move to the future is when you're not so stuck to the past. And by that, I mean, when you're not so stuck to old buildings and old things is it allows you to quickly demolish and move forward, right? It allows us to go, that isn't working anymore for what we want. We're going to get rid of it and move on. And you, you see this, I was in Paris a couple of years ago and there's the, the older part of Paris. That's gorgeous, right? It's on everybody's Instagrams. And then you step towards like the, the horrendous eighties architecture and it is awful. I mean, cause you go from breaking your neck, you know, looking around the whole time to just this awful concrete curved, if you know, eighties architecture, think yay government buildings. That's all like eighties architecture. And it just, oh, it's, it's, awful. it's a travesty. And so I think that kind of goes to what you're talking about is, you know, when you encounter, we're going to cherry pick straw man here, you know, youth pastor, bro. It's like, I like to crush beers. I'm super relatable is. It seems as if there was this pivot, I would say maybe the 90s, early thousands of we want to become so relatable. We're going to bring a we're going to bring the bar that used to be high. We're going to make a very a very low entry. Right. It's we're not asking much of you. Just come here and we're going to make this very simple and easy for you to understand. And I kind of like, do you think that in the architecture? Right. I think that's also representatory of when we look at maybe the declining numbers, right, from 1958 to 2021 or even 2000 to 2021, you know, it's down, what was that, 17%, 19%, something like that. We we look at that decline from that study I referenced earlier to where we're at now is, do you think we set such a low bar that it doesn't hold any weight like you're saying, or it doesn't, we don't respect it the same? Yeah, I think that there, I mean, I think that there's probably multiple things, but I think that that is definitely one of them. Uh, I think probably another aspect of that is, you know, probably the scandals that, um, that have been, um, associated with, uh, particularly the Catholic church, um, over the past, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it's been. Um, I think that there's probably a lot of that that's had to do, it's, it's very, see, this is what, what I, I think that if, if you look at things from the perspective of somebody who's from the outside, then you go, okay, what's your pitch? You as a Catholic, you as a Christian or, or, you know, whatever religious structure you're, you're practicing, what's your pitch? And when the person says, well, let me tell you, you know, our pitch is, is this, and you, you start laying out all of these different, um, these ethical and moral values. And then you see those people not only not living up to it, but then actively trying to cover it up and hide it, it's very, very difficult to get buy-in from other people. Um, and again, I want to be very clear here. I am painting with a broad brushstroke. I am not saying that all Catholics are that way. I'm not saying all Christians are that way. Um, but for the sake of being able to to move freely in in conversation, we're going to have to wind up referring to things as a whole. And so... I'm by no means saying that specifically every Christian uh, operates this way or every Catholic operates this way. But there is a point at which where the organization itself gets encompassed by these by these ideas and I think that's that's a you know that's something that's going to be really hard to scrub out 
And so I think that there's that. I think that there's um, this effort to to be relatable um, has watered down whatever it is that uh, that they're that they're trying to to sell. And sells maybe the the wrong way to put it, but you know if you're if you're um, if you're inviting people to engage in deep thought and and um, engage with. Uh, theology and philosophy in a way that's that's meaningful to them. It makes sense when you look at cathedrals and you look at stained glass and you look at you know all of that and you go, oh okay, this this has a, a sense of the divine to it, right? It's it's our best attempt to to portray that in in an environment. When you take that away, I think it's very very difficult to convince people that that's where their minds should be. Um, that that's what they should be meditating on when it's, you know, it's cinder block walls and, and, um, you know, multicolored, you know, nineties carpet. Like it's, it's very hard to have, a to have that sense. And I, and I know that from the pushback, um, on that is, is obviously going to be, well, if your belief system is based on all of these, these values, you like, you don't need that, you know, you can be in a, in a mud hut and you can have the same type of experience. I understand that, but I think that that's, that's a little off topic of what we're trying to, the, the problem that we're trying to pinpoint with this conversation. Sure. Yeah. When I, when I, I think to kind of build on what you're saying there, when I, when I, when I talk about architecture, I view that as art and I view that as representatory of the culture, right? That is, that is saying, here's the values of this of this civilization, of these people, of this community personified in this thing, right? And so it's it's not that that thing is, I'm saying this is representatory of this, right? I, I was doing some reading probably in the last year about like art and good art is five to 10 years in front of the culture. And it's, it's predictive of where the culture is heading, right? If it's on the fringes, it's saying, this is where this is going. And so that's, that's always interesting. And so when you look at, architecture and you talk about maybe the decline of institutional religion, you go, well, we see these buildings and then you start to look what those, the very pragmatic multi-use, very, you can't really tell the difference between this and another building. It starts to do that. And I understand, like you're saying, broad brushstrokes are being used. I understand the financial aspects and trying to figure out how to maximize so that you could still provide, I would say, programs that positively benefit the community around you. I understand this is an incredibly complex part of the whole argument. And we're just trying to say, this is something we've noticed. We're not, that's, that's what's going on here for the listeners before we, we get blown up. For yes. This. Uh, sure. And I think that, you know, uh, I think that it's important to, to point to the other side of that. You know, you can make the case of saying like, well, What's the best use of this money? How many, like, if we can help more people uh, through after-school programs or, you know, programs like uh, Awana or, or whatever it might be, wouldn't that money be put to better use than to spend that type of money on um, higher quality building materials and, and, and better architecture and design? Maybe. I think it depends on uh, maybe the, the timeline that you're looking at. And, and, and the payout of that over the course of, of time. Um, because like you said, if you have a project that you're, 
you know you're never going to see the end of. You just you play a small part of it, but you know that it's going to be grand and beautiful and it's going to last for, you know, hundreds of years. Um, as opposed to, well, you know, how many um, after school programs or uh, food banks can we operate out of this multi-use church facility? You know, I'm not saying which one is right or wrong, but I do think that there's uh, the possibility that I think that it would it would be beneficial for uh, modern evangelical uh, Christian churches to maybe stop and consider that maybe they're being somewhat short sighted in in the way that they're approaching that. Yeah, and there's you know something we should we should you know quickly point out is when you look at say the last two thousand years of I would say church history, you you see the role right of the the church say let's of the church in England or the or the Catholic Church with missions in America and they would go set them up right they played the role of of bringing you know what we would consider now in the West to be welfare programs right with the decline of religion and the call for separation of church and state right and we don't want you know these these social programs injunct with your religious ideas and values right from from I would say, from that viewpoint, you had the 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 government right rise up and then start to provide those programs. So that can't be understated. That well, what do you want to have happen? Is you wanted church and these values of of divine and formal institutional religion separated from these programs? Well, now you know the we we said okay, we'll have the government. There there supposed to be a separation of church and state they're going to rise up and do these things. Right. And so it's incredibly messy. Yeah, it is. Um, and I would, I would maintain that that separation is important and imperative. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I, you know, I, I still think that, um, uh, I still think that there is a, uh, a role to be played and and I think that the Catholic Church does do this. I do, I do think that they have um, great uh, programs for um, helping the the less fortunate. Um, so you know, it's not that again broad brush strokes. We're not we're not yeah, necessarily. Yeah, I'm just simply pointing out yeah. that the the role once filled by the by the formal institutions throughout history was replaced by by government ran programs right yeah. let you know the web domain changed from nonprofit to a government that that's what i'm saying here yeah absolutely and I, I i wanted to kind of wrap this point up with the that idea about the low entry very very easy accessible you know departure part is that is kind of led us to where we we look at more of the issue of that that decrease in, in religion, its prominence, and where it sits in the West. And it kind of moves us towards there, there seems to be this idea, especially in the last, I would say, 40-ish years or so to 50 years, that rational, scientific, and ethics oppose this idea of, of religion. And I wanted to kind of dive into that. But before I did that, I wanted to... Uh, read a, a section out of uh, Carl Jung's book on uh, modern man. I just wanted to read this and kind of shift to this and talk about this opposition and, and kind of, kind of his, you know, description of when this is written and kind of then kind of see where that goes. Uh, that section from Carl Jung is 
We are now reaping the fruit of a 19th century education. Through that period, the church preached to young people the merit of blind faith, while universities inoculated intellectual rationalism with the result that today we plead in vain whether for faith or reason. Tired of this warfare of opinions, the modern man wished to find out for himself how things are, and through this desire opens the bar and bolt the most dangerous possibilities. We cannot help seeing it as a courageous enterprise and giving it some measure of sympathy. It is no reckless adventure, but an effort inspired by deeply spiritual distress to bring meaning once more into the life on basis of a fresh and prejudiced experience. That's, that's from Carl Jung. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. I think, you know, it's, he hits a lot of points there, right? there throughout the, the 19th century, and I would even say throughout the last 50 years, that my understanding is in the last 80s and 90s, the prominence in seminary, the, you know, the trading of, of Protestant pastors or Catholic priests and bishops was a very, I wouldn't say literal, but a very, a certain way about this is historically correct, right? When we, when we think about the institutional we're talking about when we think of the the bible right the the holy the holy book is sometimes it's referenced over that collection of books that makes up the bible is we're going to prove this historically that this happened and that was really really present in from the 80s on and you're really seeing it now and i think what's fascinating is 19th century is when this was you know reaping that in the 19th century and we think about here we are in 2022 and it's the critiques, right? When you think about, you know, the four horsemen, Dawkins, Dennett, Hitchens, and Harris make, right, about this, this blind faith. And when you had the universities going, we're going to, we're going to talk at this high level. It's your job to get up to speed. And like we talked earlier, the, the kind of the, the formal church said, we're going to make this so approachable. We're going to open the door and not, not call you to something better. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, there's definitely a problem with that. And then, you know, to, to address what you're saying, the, I grew up with a very literal and as literal as possible. It was one of the, the biggest struggles. It was actually the reason that I walked away from Christianity as I, I couldn't, I could not make sense of, um, an insistence on literal interpretation of the Bible, um, with uh with what i was reading and i remember having this conversation i remember where i was when it happened um i was on uh it was somewhere in uh eastern oregon and it was on a fire line and it was uh, we were taking a break and we were sitting and somehow we wound up talking about um oh about the bible and and how whether it was true or not or this or that and um we were going back and forth and I had this moment of realization where if, if people are insisting that the Bible has to be interpreted literally, you know, and you see this with, um, with especially like new age or, or young earth, uh, creationists, um, that there's an insistence that when Genesis talks about, um, the, or, you know, the earth being made in, in six days and God resting on the seventh, that those are literal days. Um, and they can map out how long ago that was, somewhere around, I think 6,000 years is most, most people 
allude to. And when you read through that, you realize that the the ability to have a 24-hour period doesn't come about until day three. Now, I had this moment of like, well, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work. And so, you know, I've had this conversation with different people and they, they you know, they stop and they go, um, well, there's always a, a well, but, you know, and, and I go, no, 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 no. I'm not the one who's insisting on the literalism. If you're insisting on the literalism and if you're insisting on the 24-hour period, you are the, it's on you to explain how we don't have anything that gives us a 24 hour period until day three. And so that's something that I, that really, that was one of the first ones where I was like, okay, well, this doesn't work. And, you know, eventually I settled on to more of a moralistic reading of, of the Bible, which I found to be much more helpful, but, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it was surprising to me that that is actually a very new phenomenon. That was not the way that many people interpreted the Bible over history. Yeah, and I, you know, I would say, I would say a rise to prominence. I, I know, especially in the the circles in our youth, we ran in right the the rock star level status. And I'm sure if you're you're a you're a Christian who's been around long enough, you're going to hear this name, and that'll that'll make you feel one way or another about me, and that's okay. Is is Ken Ham and his his answers to Genesis movement, and what you see there is is like you're talking about, right? Is this literal interpretation? And something I found interesting in the course of preparing for this podcast and listening to, I would say, other highly trained intellectuals in the religious space. There's a Catholic bishop named uh, Bishop Robert Barron, someone I look up to highly. Same. His his education, his his reading of philosophy, his breadth of knowledge of across just literature itself is is phenomenal. Yeah, Bishop Barron is the boy. <laughs> he is truly, truly something special in the the most highest of admiration. Is and I don't want to get too into the word too far down the deep because I'm not trained at all to do this, but I guess there's a difference between day and days when I would be like, Oh, how long you've been doing that? Oh man, dude, I've been doing CrossFit for years. Well, what do we mean by years? Like, is it one year, two years, five years? Well, man, how long, how long, how long have you been outside, you know, working on offense? Man, it's been days. When, when you look at the interpretation style and I even understand at the start of Ken Ham's argument, he goes, I'm going to interpret this as a 24-hour day period versus days as in a... Like very, ages. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, ages ago, man, I was doing that. Very broad. And that builds that whole argument, which which you end up in a place where you're having to justify how the 24-hour period that obviously we know right through rotation on Earth and modern science now goes, no, it does take 24 hours for a rotation to happen. And that's what we define this is it's interesting how all all that occurs, right? And I kind of want to I want to jump over to something you brought up about reading and interpretation styles, and then I want to continue this conversation about um, science, its opposition, and, and kind of how that works. And kind of kind of slip down the path here, or move over, and just quickly on reading styles is again. While I was researching, I came across the Origin of Alexandria, and he lived about like 100, 175. Um, you know, what is that? Almost like 1900 years ago. And 
basically came up with this this style, which is the the start would be Christological, which it that means that the the books that make up the Bible all point to some something of the divine to to the divine being, and under that, then you have this you know subset of you have a certain things need to be read certain ways, right? And then that's that's kind of where we get in the weeds. Certain certain traditions of faith or, or thought and seminaries how they train certain ways, but you have a historical literal sense, right? Which no, we know who history we can we can track this happened and this happened. Like, oh no, we can go look in you know the Dead Sea is in the New Testament. Oh look, it's actually there on the map, right? Like that would be kind of bad idea. And, um, it's, it's kind of that idea that something happened in a spiritual sense. That's a historical literal interpretation, and then you have the the moral tropological. And that would be what is what is this story? What is what is this collection or, or what's going on here? What can it say about our moral lives? And I know a, a personal hero and an intellectual that is very look looked towards in the modern space is, is Jordan Peterson has really done this in his biblical lecture series. His his reading of, you know, the Abrahamic stories in in this sense has really really hit home with a lot of people because it opened up something about the story that I don't think was really present. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, obviously we've discussed this in the first season. Uh, Peterson's a big hero of mine. Um, one of the reasons is that, uh, Peterson really kind of redeemed the Bible itself for me. Um, because as I, as I'd mentioned, I, I kind of hit this point where I, you know, my, my goal was to try to be intellectually consistent and intellectually honest with what I, what I was saying that I believed and what I was reading. Um, and I, I got to the point where I could not do that. I could not be intellectually consistent and honest about the ways in which the Bible was being read or, or that I was told that I was, I was, the people were insisting that I read the Bible. And eventually I got to the point where I got frustrated enough with it. And I was like, okay, well, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't square the circle. And so I just kind of walked away from it. And when I came across uh, Peterson and he was, you know, I remember him uh, explaining, um, it was a Genesis. Um, he was explaining that. And it, it, I'm going to butcher it, but basically, whereas I grew up with people, you know, insisting on like, no, this is a, this is a science book and we're supposed to get our science from the book of Genesis. And I was like, I don't understand how it is that you do that without being completely disingenuous about what it is that you're reading. Whereas you know, Peterson came in and said, no, this is saying something bigger. You know, this is not intended to be a science book. This is saying something bigger. This is showing that the way to organize chaos is to step out into the chaos and, and speak truth. And my mind kind of exploded at that. And I was like, now, here is a way that I can read and interpret the Bible that makes sense to me. And so, you know, that was uh, that was really influential in the way that I wound up um, kind of developing from there. It would be similar, right, as if you picked up uh, like J.R. Tolkien or, I mean, a Harry Potter book, right? And you go, you know what? I'm going to take this book and I'm going to say this literally happened and build something from it. And you absolutely could, right? You could. But the book is not written as a science book, right? That's the the fascinating thing is to watch in the 21st century 
them go, oh, no, this book is a science book. Or this proves this. The, the modern science wasn't even invented yet or written down. Like, no, it's no, it's not. But it also does not mean, right, that you can't look at that and be like, wow, there's things that are described here that modern science observes now and goes, wow, and like, that's also happening. That is also true, right? And I think that's, that's where some of the stuff gets messy on, on the depth of this conversation. And I want to just kind of wrap up this on the reading styles. Then you have the eschatological sense, which is basically saying – this is a fulfillment of something, right? You would, and again, I'm not trained in seminary or anything. I just have done some listening on podcasts and some additional reading is you would look to say like an old Testament, like prophecy. And then you'd be like, Oh, this happens then in like the new Testament side. So it's kind of like that idea. And I understand I'm broad brush on this. I just, I just found that this idea of reading styles was so present, you know, let's say less than not a hundred years after, you know, Jesus walks the earth, according to the, the, uh, Judeo Christianity faith tradition, right? You have a way to look at these, these, these stories and collection of books through a different, you know, means or lens of interpretation. And I'm like, well, why, why isn't that talked about? And it was like, that's, that's interesting. So, so when I came across this, I was like, this is something that I don't get enough light. And it's, it's so easy to straw man, right? This this literal to go back to this this the six literal days. No, it's it's this for science. It's it's these days type argument. And that's where there's this like I would say opposition or this idea that, you know, twenty first, you know, modern day science, what we see is opposed to the I would say the the faith tradition itself. Yeah, and that again was really surprising um for me to eventually learn and understand that that was not always the case. There was much of science that was encouraged and, and, and drawn out of, you know, the Catholic church. And it's, it's been, you know, recently, and I know people are going to, they're going to, yes, the Catholic church did make statements. It was either Aristotle or Galileo, horrendous. The Catholic church, Bishop Aaron has been very, very, very open about this and, and callers and going, no, that is horrendous. That never should have happened. That's important to understand it. And, to remember back to dogmatics and egotism, right? And what we're talking about is there can be at times where a system goes, it is more important for us to maintain, you know, this is well, Michel Foucault, where he makes his point about power and control is there's a point where it's better to maintain that and then, then let truth arise. And it doesn't mean that that entire institution and the people in it are bad. Right. And I think it, you know, to be clear, that is not a justification for it. Like you just said, you know, uh, Bishop Barron has been pretty clear about like, no, there are things that the Catholic Church should not have done. Um, and I think that that is how you establish credibility is by stepping apart and saying, no, 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 I agree. See, whenever um, people get into the, and I, I, I run into this a lot, uh, particularly with um, with modern evangelical Christians, where in an attempt to try to have a conversation about legitimate criticisms about the way that Christianity handles things, there, there, there's this tribalism where you go, uh, or I've I've seen people go, you're attacking, you're you're critiquing and attacking what it is that I believe. Therefore, you are critiquing and attacking me. And that's not the case. You know, and if unless people are willing to let go of that and look at their own organizations and be like, okay, what have we gotten wrong? We need to own up to that. I think Bishop Barron's done an excellent job of that. He um, he came out and wrote about um, the uh, 
the scandals in the what was it the eighties and nineties with the Catholic Church yeah, and the cover up thousands and early thousands yeah, yeah. That's, I mean I was, I was I've read some additional books on him and books he's written something I found fascinating is in Boston where the I would say the the worst of the worst occurred with the the sex scandals and everything is that's where he got sent and he's owned up and admitted that and I'm like you talk about you know walking into a exploded minefield and the way that he's addressed that and and owned up to it and then you know talked back to the the early I was either Galileo or Aristotle with with there's something there and that all happened and his addressing of that and really being a a rational voice I would say within going no like these aren't actually opposed and something that I found fascinating in this was I was I was reading oh last year at some point some Neil deGrasse Tyson he's an astrophysicist I'm sure people are aware if not who he is and I was like, okay, his book's fascinating. He's interesting. And he came to this conclusion, and it's something that I notice is, he says, we can make sense of the entire world scientifically, and I believe in modern-day science. I want to make this clear for this podcast. And he says, we can make sense of everything that occurs and, and show through observation and, and the modeling and process that goes, if you give us this sets of elements, we can show you how the Big Bang happened through through." Um, evolution through the, the process of, of that, through the seven to eight billion years, how we got to today. I, okay. I'll, I agree. Okay. I go, here's, here's the part where I find interesting is, you know, and he would call it the big bang, right? Is it seems like there's this fight over how, how these, you know, these required elements, right? I, I can't remember what they are. Somebody can look this up. That if you give me these elements, I can explain everything. It seems like there's a there's a there's a counter idea or something out there that says we're gonna say we don't know how they got there, but we can make sense of everything from point X forward. And maybe the institutional religion is saying we're gonna say that the divine made those elements, and that's how we got here. Yeah, and I think that that's a really interesting. That's where I've kind of found myself. I, I think that. So much of this, this is literally why we tried to have a conversation about defining terms at the beginning of this. So much of this gets real murky whenever we start throwing terms around. Now, what people want to do is they want to say, well, that's God. The problem with that is that when you point to um, the elements and the provision of those elements that, that created the Big Bang and what we have now... The problem is, is when you point to that and you go, I call that God, what do you mean by God? Who do you mean by God? That's where you get into to some real trouble because when you say that, it's very hard to, to know what it is that when you say, okay, I agree or I disagree. If you say you agree, that immediately puts you on this like slip and slide into this area where you wind up uh, encompassing things that you may not actually believe or agree with. So for me, it's been important for me to try to uh, insist that people explain what it is that they mean by that. Now, I've kind of arrived at a place where I go like, yeah, I'm not opposed to, as a matter of fact, I, I lean into the idea that there has to be some sort of prime mover. There has to be some sort of something. Now, the problem with calling that God is that if you're 
dealing with modern Christians, that encompasses a lot of different things. And this is one of the reasons we've had this conversation before is why, why I'm very hesitant or not even hesitant. I don't, I don't, um, I don't accept the moniker of, of Christian. It's because it's such an encompassing term that if somebody says that it can encompass somebody like, uh, Bishop Barron, or it can encompass the Westboro Baptist church. You know, that's a, that's a big span. And there's a lot of that that I go, I, I want absolutely nothing to do with. And so that's the part that I find um, really difficult is that people are very quick to try to like, let's throw a label on that. Let's just, you know, I've got this, uh, this label, I just want to slap down on, on this. And it's like, well, what I think a lot of people don't understand is that the opposition is to the label itself. What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, there's definitely this, if I say I adhere to this thing, whatever this is, this, we'll call it, you know, religious structure, what this podcast season is about. It means that my identity gets tied to something good or bad, just, just gets tied to something. That's a, that's a thing. I think what's fascinating is where that, where that goes, right? Is this, this idea of, if I say I believe in in let's say God, right? That that means this, and it must mean that I somehow fall in this. Oh no, there can't be this this idea of modern progress science. It has to be this, and it has to be this, and we start getting real messy and all over the place. Something I found interesting is to go back to this, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, an astrophysicist, basically saying, "Hey, we can get here with this," and and that's modern science says, "Yes, the Big Bang happened." Right? This idea comes from a man named George Lemaitre. He's a, a Belgian. He's a physicist. He was uh, born in the late 1800s, passed away mid-1900s. And he's the the father of the Big Bang. That's that's where this comes from, this entire idea of the Big Bang. And I go, okay, this is an idea accepted by modern-day science. This is, a, a, this, this is a common thing, right, in textbooks on science, everything. The fascinating part is, George Lamentra is a Belgian ordained Catholic priest. Boom. Which is so fascinating how the father of the Big Bang would be a Catholic priest, but somehow modern day religion or institutional faith is opposed to the Big Bang. That's a hell of a conspiracy to go, we're going to trick them so good. Now, just hear me out here. We're going to make up this thing, and then we're going to say we're against it. Right. Yeah, and see, and this is, again, where it's really important to, um, you know, that was something that I was unaware of, you know, because if you were to grow up in, in modern, um, you know, evangelical churches, you're you're constantly told that that's heresy. You're constantly told that that's um, moronic to think. And... It's only when you get outside of that and you have a better understanding of of uh, of history, particularly church history, where you stop and go like, "Wait a minute, this is not the way that, um, or, or this this way of looking at um, science, this way of looking at the Bible, this this idea of literal interpretation, this is a relatively new thing. It hasn't always been this way, but yet for some reason, I think you know, obviously it's." It's due to where you're you're located in in the the time in which you're you're um, experiencing this. But um, you know when you grow up that way, it is 
that that's all that you hear. So it's really hard to see anything outside of that. Yeah, when you think back right to when we talked about reading styles, you know, Origin of Alexandria, uh, it was born in 185 AD. You look at George Lamente, right, 19, 1900s, when this, this you know, the Big Bang becomes a prevalent idea. And you're like, okay, that that's hokey pokey, Isaac. You know, that's just casual. Like, that was observed, right? Well, what's something that really brought to prominence with Lamentra is that he actually refuted Albert Einstein, right? They'll say, oh, man, that guy's an Einstein, right? Smart as Einstein. Idea of a static universe, right? He refuted that. And now there's an accepted idea, the Big Bang, of how this came about. And it goes back to what I was bringing earlier when I was reading about Neil deGrasse Tyson and his argument on if you give me these set of elements, we can explain through observation and modeling and polyhypotheses how we get to where we're at. Okay, great. I think this is maybe why the the rise or the where things gone off the rails, I would say in the last 50 to 60 years with this literalism and this idea that it's opposed and whatnot is the Big Bang had to be caused by something. And I think that goes back to it seems as if there's this, well, if we and I'm saying we if Christianity admits that says Oh, if we admit the Big Bang happened, then it removes the need for there to be some some divine being, right? Some prime mover, right? right? Yes. Well, this is the thing I'll always come back to is, okay, I agree these elements were there. How did they get there? Because either you have to say a divine prime mover put those there, or you just walk around going, I don't know how they got there, which both take a lot of faith to be like, Sure. Somehow these things just showed up. Right. Well, I think that the 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 idea is that these things don't have to be like uh, reason, um, rationality, science, and faith. They're not diametrically opposed to each other. That's I think the 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 takeaway for me. A lot of this has to do with what your what your um, what definitions you're using, what your um, how you're interpreting things. And so that's where I find a lot of this. And I, you know, I guess indulge me for a second. Um, one of the things that I've often thought about the insistence on the literalism and the 24 hour period and the, you know, young earth creation, um, that we were familiar with growing up. One of the things that I, that I think is at the root of the problem is the inability or the well, yeah, I mean, it's an inability and, and, a, and a rejection of, what's a good way to put it? People not being willing or, or uncomfortable with sitting with ambiguity. I think that that's at the root of a lot of it. Because what winds up happening is that if you can insist on literalism, if you can insist on this is the uh, the word of God, and you can insist on it has to be interpreted literally this way, then what you're doing is you're telling yourself, I can erase all of the question marks. All of the answers are here. I don't need anything outside of this. And, and I'm not saying this facetiously. I've heard people say this. I've literally heard people say this. Um, I don't need anything else outside of this. And what that does is that creates this, this sense of, I no longer have to deal with ambiguity. I no longer have to deal with question marks. I no longer have to stop and say, you know what? 
I don't know. Doesn't it? Doesn't this come down to humility, though? I, because 100%. if you can sit there and say, "Oh, I don't know," and be okay with that, that's something. I think so, right? And maybe it's been put to its hyper extremes, right? Where we want people to have an answer and opinion on everything, and if you don't know or don't have an opinion on something, you know, it's you get a a moral judgment made about you as a person. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas we're sitting here going, okay. I'm fine with sitting there going, these elements had to get her somewhere to cause this big bang. And if an organizing principle that you say is a prime mover is, is a divine, is God, whatever you would like to call that thing, that, okay. Like those don't have to be opposed. And I think, you know, to start to kind of wrap, wrap this episode up is I think this narrative that, you know, the Bible and science are opposed. Well, no, they're not like you referenced earlier it's like the the bible is not a cookbook there's things in there about food but that does not mean it's a cookbook right right? there's things in there about you know species and animals it's not it's not a biology textbook that's not what it's for it's you know it's understanding what you're interacting with yeah yeah i agree i think that that point about humility is is really what it comes down to you have to have humility when you're when you're talking about these things because as much as we want to, you know, have all of our questions answered and have um, a definitive, you know, thing that we can give people and say, this is this. Um, at the end of the day, the reality is we there's so much that we don't know, you know, and it's like I've what you mentioned before, we've been having these conversations for for years now. You know, I've settled on a, um, a place where, you know. Um, I have a really hard time explaining what it is that I think about, um, these ideas because I'm not opposed to the idea of, of God as much as people, uh, that I've talked to want to tell me that I'm, I'm an atheist. So it's really funny because it's like to the atheist, I'm a believer and to, to believers, I'm an atheist. And so, you know, that's, that's fun. Um, but like, you know, that, that thing that you mentioned, um, the, the best way that I can describe it is, like you said, like an orienting principle. The thing that that truth is, whatever that thing is, like I believe that that is God. And I think that those orienting principles are the things that we see in everything. We see it in science. We see it in philosophy. It's, it's that feeling of whenever um, you know something is true, it's verifiably true, and it rings out true, like you, know, you hit a tuning fork and it rings out to, you know, perfect C. Like that's that thing. That is what I, I, I go, okay, that, that to me is divine. That is something separate and apart from, from us. And so whatever that is, I'm going to try to the best of my ability to try to orient myself with that. And, you know, if that's difficult for people to, to understand because it doesn't have the right label or whatever it is, yeah, I get that. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I really do think that it's important to try to be intellectually honest and, and have humility and in specifying whatever it is that we think we know, leaving space for the things that we don't. Yeah, and I think that's a kind of a great place to wrap up is, you know, leaving space for things we don't know and there's space for the things we do know. And that's okay. Yeah, and that's okay. Uh, yeah, it is. It's great. I know the next episode, we're going to kind of dive in a little bit more of the, the other side of this, uh, this argument here and uh, we'll... Uh, We'll kind of look at that, but you know, we talked about difference in reading styles, um, kind of the institutional attendance in religion, 
and some of the ideas behind uh, the prominence or the the I would say the opposing forces of religion or science science and and kind of where that has gone and it's interesting to see where the reliance on knowing everything is also head headed. Uh, this has been the Imperfect Discourse podcast. Continue as we discuss religious structures and Western civilization. Thank you.